Thanks for tuning in to the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski. The Recovery Executive Podcast is the only podcast geared towards executives, directors, owners in the addiction treatment space. We focus on talking to people on the cutting edge or trends or anything around business development and growth that you need to run a better center and stay on top of the competition. The Recovery Executive Podcast is brought to you by Circle Social Inc., growth experts within the space of addiction treatment and behavioral health. Today I'm speaking with Karen Peabody, and we had quite an interesting conversation. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. This is mainly geared towards a lot of people in the field move from clinician to business owner, and that's a big shift, right? So Karen is early on uh, in that experience. You know, she started her own practice a number of years ago and then has grown it to several practitioners and several people working under her. She's gotten a very rushed and interesting education through the Small Business Administration uh, Association of America in helping her build the business. And she talks a lot about what their experience was like moving from the clinical role to more of a business development role, what some of the challenges are. And we also had some interesting conversations on actually relationships with insurance providers and how to make sure that you're getting your reimbursements, uh, how to make sure that the reimbursements you get are the appropriate amount. Uh, It's very interesting because I know that Uh, insurance reimbursement can be a conflict within the space, but Karen has found ways to make it actually a very happy process where uh, she works and partners closely with the insurance providers to get what her patients need. So I'm sure a lot of people will find that valuable as well. So with that, let's jump into the interview. Hey, Karen, how are you doing? Great. How are you? Uh, Doing really well. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. Well, why don't you introduce yourself first and tell us a bit about who you are and a little bit about your practice. Okay. Well, thank you so much for having me, Nick. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. My name is Karen Peabody. I am the owner of Forge Well Solutions in East Bridgewater, Massachusetts, and we are a collaborative therapeutic practice, which essentially means everyone in the practice is running their own business. We're just under the same roof, all working together, sharing referrals and sharing um, collaboratives and subcontractors. And we are specializing in mostly trauma and substance abuse. And as we've expanded over the last year, we've been able to add children and family therapy into the mix. That's awesome. So I know there's a lot of therapists out there, obviously, that run their own practice, but it's really, you know, I'd say like a one person show, right? They're doing their billing, they're doing their um, accounting, they're doing marketing, and as well as the client therapy part of it. So, you know, how did you make that move from, you know, just being a one person show to growing your your practice to, you know, uh, I think you said up to seven um, therapists now? Yes. Um, Well, I guess the easy answer is I couldn't keep up. You know, um, it was just so overwhelming. I mean, I think that everybody, if you're doing this work, sometimes has the dream of, oh, I'll I'll hang a shingle and and start my own thing. And um, I I knew I wanted to do that, but I also knew I wanted to have something bigger. I kind of had a vision about... um, not only giving great clinical work to clients, but also supporting therapists and making the wage that they wanted to make and mm. and not having to worry about money because that is just such part of the field. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, and I also kind of probably had a different philosophy of I didn't really want to work with new therapists per se of I wanted to surround myself with incredibly seasoned and experienced therapist that I would learn from. Hmm, So in that kind of process, we, we started to think about business development a little bit. And what I really learned is therapists have a hard time with negotiating good business practices and, and saying it's okay to make a fair wage. Yeah, that's interesting you know, that you I say that. <laughs> I know if yeah, the, uh... it, it's really true. Yes, definitely. I mean, I see a lot of therapists, you know, that struggle with the business end of things, and they're always. And I think there's um. I don't know what you want to say, like a, maybe a feeling of responsibility that you want to help as many people as possible, too. And I think when people come um, to you with issues that, you know, they're not maybe in a great place. And so sometimes you feel sorry for them and you undercut yourself <laughs> in terms of services. Right. I don't know if that's what you've seen. You know, when 
I think as a social worker, um, my academic career was stellar. Of I went to school in Boston. I went to a great school. But they never talked about you know, making a living doing this. You know, they talked a lot about the history and the clinical work, but I've never even, now when I talk to therapists who want to come to the office, I'll say like, well, how much does your contract pay? And they don't even know. Sure. You know, I don't know any job out there that you don't know how much you make an hour. Right. So that kind of really piqued my interest in developing a business and, and getting other people and mentoring other people to really think about good business practices in their clinical work. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a huge need. We actually work with a client in Seattle. Um, they started off just with one location, kind of like you did, and they kind of created um, a shared provider model for mainly behavioral therapy. And God, they've got over 140 providers now, and they do about 8 million a year. Like it's just, and that's been in like a five-year growth cycle. Like it's insane. There's a huge need for these services that you're talking about. So I think it's really interesting that you're kind of at that ground level and and clearly um, growing fast. Yeah, it's really been amazing. And I can't say enough of early on when, you know, the business was growing, but it was hard to organize the money flow and making sure I did it right and taxes and things like that. I was hooked up with the SBA and that's small businesses. And they are amazing. They're free. They're in every state. I can't say enough of what they have done. And even I mean, it was almost like I love them dearly. I've worked with them for a long time, so I can say this and they know this. It was almost like going to the principal's office every week when I would go there <laughs> just because I was – I had they could have been speaking Greek to me. Like I don't even know what they were talking about when they were talking about do a business plan and we want to see your projections and all these things. Yeah. And I think I skated by for the first six months, just really overwhelmed, didn't know. I mean, my accountant would provide me the reports that I needed, but I didn't even know how to read them. And so um, I was praying that somebody would just take it over for me, hoping (laughs) they would. Uh, That's funny. And um, so they finally just said, you know, I'm kind of sitting down in this boardroom with these wonderfully articulate, retired, successful businessmen, and they just said, you know, you don't have a business or a hobby, because if you don't know your figures, you're talking to us about a hobby. Sure. And I was like, oh, well, that changed everything, you know, because <laughs> I certainly didn't want a hobby. Right. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I think that's a lot of people's common experiences, you know, when they first start a business, especially within addiction treatment and behavioral health, because a lot of people start their centers or their practices out of passion, right? Um, right. And so translating that passion into a viable business and all of the operational aspects that go along with the business is very challenging for a lot of people. So I'm really excited to kind of hear a bit more about your experiences as you've grown in that direction. Um, one thing I wanted to touch base on real quick before we move forward, though, is your particular model. So, you know, you said in the beginning that you started off really focusing on addiction treatment and trauma. And so obviously within addiction treatment, there is this kind of standard model that's out there that has your detox, your residential, your PHP, your IOP. But you're approaching it more from a kind of standard therapeutic consult or sorry, counseling perspective. Correct. So can you tell us a little bit about you know how you work with addiction treatment in particular? Yes. You know, I think that we are pretty unique in that aspect because we have all been in the field for a long time. So we have great contacts. We have great medical providers. Um, We have contacts with people that do TMS treatment. We have contacts with yoga studios. Um, We're all pretty centered around group work. So even though we are a private practice, We've consistently offered groups to people. So we do individual. We have somebody that does our family therapy, couples therapy. Now we have the children involved, and that was a big part of this for the substance abuse Hmm. aspect of it. So we almost are able to provide an IOP-like format for them with very extensive services, and then we can refer them out of, you know, I support medication assisted treatment Mm -hmm. certainly and we work with great providers that 
work with timelines for that. And um, so we will have, we usually do about a month introduction services with people coming in identified as substance abuse um, treatment. Okay. And then we um, will start to decide what's a good placement for them, whether they need to do a little individual work first and move into a group. We usually refer them out if they want medication. And then um, we also have a yoga studio that works with us pretty regularly okay. to start to integrate other aspects. And, and then people usually move on to a group that okay. we have. We just have a women's group that's ending now. And in the group, we have a couple of different models of treatment. There's a lot of CBT and there's a lot of narrative work. And then um, we're ending all of our groups for the last half an hour with some meditation skills. Okay. So uh, what's the range in terms of hours per week that people are coming to the, the program? They could come group as an hour and a half. They could have um, individual and family that would be an hour, and then they could also have individual work going on at the okay. same time. And then if they're using our treatment providers for medication, that's, you know, another probably 15 minutes to a half an hour a week. And then hopefully they have connected with the yoga studio or they're doing their own kind of treatment plan. Now, we're big on foundation skills of just really trying to um, – heal your body first sure. and have proper assessments with just taking care of your body. And then we go on to emotional, spiritual work. Okay. All right. So in terms of the people that you're helping, it sounds like, you know, there are people that are probably functioning fairly well. Maybe they're holding down jobs. I mean, if you get someone that's in a really acute state or, um, you know, it's really struggling where they're, you know, still drunk or high all the time, are you referring those out or do you work with those within your practice? We refer them out if they need some stabilization with detox services okay. certainly um we refer them out we we also have wonderful services here for that and even mm. if they need a little more of an intensive level of services we would hope that they would go to the iop there whatever people need to get stabilized we also hope that in the meantime, perhaps their loved ones will engage in services in our office to start to prep them for the return home of the client. Sure. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So um, something I think that we were mentioning in the email exchanges was I've seen quite a difference because we work with addiction treatment centers and then behavioral health centers, and I see that they seem to approach addiction treatment very, very differently. Um, is that something that you've seen as well? And maybe if, if you do, can you elaborate on maybe how you do you see your practice being a bit different than what might happen in a traditional detox or residential? Sure. I mean, you know, I think for detoxes, everybody has a different goal, you know, and, um, and I think that a lot of stabilization services happen with a lot of the residential facilities and detox, of course, they're looking to get somebody like medically cleared to be safe. You yeah. know, that is their ultimate goal. I think we kind of, we look at the long haul, you know, of we want to be engaged with our client for as long as necessary. I mean, I, and for the most part, we do. We want to be engaged with their family. We want to be the emergency call in a couple years if things aren't going right. Mm -hmm. We really work with establishing a whole relationship. And it's, it's usually what we get. We tend at this point now to know generations of families that – we don't want them to live in panic and fear that this could happen in the future. We just want them to know that we have a plan. We've done enough work. We've built enough of a relationship that they can call us. So I think we tend to really evaluate the person on all the different levels. And of course, once we get them as stable as we can to start to do the trauma work, we really find that to be pretty effective. Mm. That's interesting. Um, then going back to the business end of things a little bit. So how does that work out for you? As, as much as you know, I know you might not be dealing with it hands on yourself. Um, but in terms of insurance billing and things, you know, have you found it easy to get reimbursement for the type of work you're doing difficult? You know, what are the, um, what are the ins and outs there? Um, you know, there hasn't been too much of a problem. Insurance companies are kind of always changing and um, adding or, taking something away but i will say 
you know, we have great relationships with our insurance company, just even, um, you know, Tufts is a big provider of, I can email Tufts and just say, hey, what is this? Like, what's going on here? How would I handle this? And they're so responsive of the next day we'll have a follow-up phone call. And even if I run a scenario by them, they'll say, hey, you should be billing for that emergency phone call because the next day they came in to talk about placement. And they've been so helpful. It's a matter of, which is probably what therapists are really struggling with, it's a matter of taking the time to make the contacts and, and do the emails of, I think therapists tend to think, well, if I'm not seeing people, I'm not making money. And I have come to learn the exact opposite. I make more money when I'm really trying to make contacts and figure out things that make connections. That's really interesting that you say that. I think I want to dig into that a little bit deeper because honestly, most centers that we speak to are in constant I mean, I'd almost say battles with the insurance companies in terms of actually getting reimbursed or insurance companies sending the payment for services checks to the patient themselves rather than to the provider or the center. Um, so that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So um, have you ever had any of those experiences or do you feel like across sure. the board? You got good? Sure. Okay. All right. Um, you know, I think, and it was my own anxiety about this. Um, I think... Dad, uh, are you still there? Yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> You're fine. It, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how this went away automatically. If somebody was giving me a bad time, I automatically kind of internalized that of like, oh, well, I'm not going to pain and this is going bad rather than it's kind of like trauma work in and of itself rather than <laughs> digging a little deeper and trying to figure out who are your friends, you know, of – they they are the gateway to your business. Take a little time and ask some questions. And I had to kind of lean into my own defensiveness hmm. and hear what they had to say and ask them, okay, well, how can we do this better of this is what I want to achieve. What do you think about that? And when I started to really have that approach is when really doors open so Huh. I can remember like a year ago getting a piece of mail from an insurance company that I read it to say, oh, we're cutting your numbers. You know, we're cutting your reimbursement fees. Sure. And of course, I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, you're going to put me out of business. And um, what is this? And I kind of sent an email off like, are you serious? And um, they called right back and they were like, hey, listen, hear me out. And it was so much more than that. Half of the fees were going up and some of them were going down. And I mean, you would never know that from the letter that you get. I think all therapists get these letters all the time that this reimbursement fee is changing. And um, what I would say is call. They'll talk to you. And it's so interesting. So when I'm kind of doing some of my consultation services for therapists, I tell them about these things. Did you get this letter? Sure, I did. Did you read it? Well, no, I kind of threw it out. And <laughs> have you ever contacted these people and found out what it is? Because then you can kind of make decisions of in groups. How many people do you need in a group yeah. for a viable reimbursement fee? Yeah. So it makes such a difference. And even, you know, can you bill for a crisis call and how do you use an add-on code? All of these things. And, of course, every time we get these things, I immediately call my biller, who's amazingly wonderful. And and she's on top of it, too. And she's calling them and asking questions. And she'll call me if she doesn't like something on the billing and say, why did you do this? So we're very, very in tune to how do we make this business run the best it possibly can. I think that's really good insight there it's very interesting so we have a couple providers that have excellent relationships with the insurance companies um and i find that it is kind of rare at least within addiction treatment behavioral health i find it more normal um but it comes down to you know knowing people and doing the right thing and then following up you know if you have questions on things i've even seen providers um even with cigna like a lot of people complain about cigna they say they're hard to work with but i know even with them they may able to go in and what they'll do is they'll track their outcomes, right? And they'll say, here is the results we're getting with our clients or patients coming in. 
And if I compare that cost to say an emergency room visit, as we know, you know, people with addiction or other mental health issues often have, you know, multiple emergency room visits a year. They're like, you know, you can either pay $20,000 a pop for more emergency room visits, <laughs> you know, or you can pay yeah. us to, you know, kind of help take care of this problem for this person and you're actually going to save money. And, you know, the insurance providers come back and they say, you know, yeah, you've got the data here. You've got the outcomes. We're seeing positive results from your patients. Yeah, absolutely. We'll give you a higher reimbursement, you know, and a lot of people don't realize you can do that. A hundred and ten percent. I mean, when you really think about it, maybe it's a little bit different methods, but we all want the same thing. You know, they want their clients to be healthy. We want the clients to be healthy. Right. And we would be great you know, co-partners with what do they want to see? And they're really open to hearing about, even if you're, you've, you know, hung your shingle, you should call your insurance providers that you have a contract with and just say, if you have something different, you should say to them, hey, I'm offering art therapy. And they love that stuff. Even if it's something that isn't completely reimbursable at this time, they still put it in their back pocket, always thinking. Hmm. Huh, that's very interesting to know. So it sounds like you've had some great experience, you know, building the practice. You know, can you talk a little bit more about for people wanting to make that leap? You know, say, well, they want to go from an individual practitioner to building out an actual center with other therapists. Um, how would you recommend they go about doing that? Um, I would say be prepared to work hard. You know, <laughs> it's a lot of work. Um, but it's so worth it. Oh, there's so much latitude you can do but be prepared to work hard and go out and meet people doing the same exact thing we offer a monthly supervision to anybody in the community that wants to do it and just like i'll tell anybody you know how what i do and what's worked and what hasn't worked of i get i mean the more of us the better you know we yeah. can all help of each other so i would say you know, get out there and start talking to people, connect with other therapists in the area that are doing the same things. Go to the SBA. It's free. You know, um, NASW has a private practice group. And I would definitely say, I don't know how people bill by themselves. Get a biller. It doesn't even make sense <laughs> for me, sure. you know, to yeah. bill because I think it's an average of, if you miss three authorizations a month, you're that's essentially the cost of a biller. Right, right. You know, three mistakes a month is the cost of a biller. It's, yeah. you know, most billers use a percentage of what they collect. You're not even paying out of your pocket. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. it's so helpful. And I definitely, you know, getting your paperwork straight to do your um, credentialing, I made a terrible mistake of trying to change my tax ID a couple years ago, <laughs> okay. and what a nightmare. <laughs> They're all kind of amateur mistakes. Sure, yeah. I think that's always one of the things I've learned in growing businesses and helping other people grow their businesses is definitely outsource the things that you're not an expert at. Like, there's just no yep. reason because <laughs> you lose so much more money <laughs> trying to do it and yourself. time and uh, yep. tears, you know, right. the whole thing of yeah. it just spend a little money up front yep. to invest with the professionals who know what you're doing. I right. mean, that tax ID thing, oh, my gosh, that probably was like two months of delayed billing because all the contracts had to be done over. Oh, Wow. Wow. So, I, I mean, what a nightmare, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, so, okay, so you've grown the practice. Um, what I've also found then, and maybe you've seen this, is once you get the practice bigger, you tend to get stuck inside it. So you're saying go to the SBA and network with other professionals doing the same thing, which I would highly recommend as well. You know, But I'll go to a decent amount of conferences and I'll talk to a lot of center owners and directors that say, oh no, I can't get out of my center, right? Because I can't leave, I'm stuck here. And I find with um, the people that say that, that they're not learning and growing, um, that they're often yeah. like behind in terms of how mm -hmm. the business should be operating or what's happening in the field because they're not out there. So maybe right. what's your advice then and how to get out? How do you actually pause and let your business run itself while you go and, you know, do other things? Yeah. So I guess 
you know, I'm, I'm a pretty direct person <laughs> and I've learned this so I can say this. So you're not that important. <laughs> like business, like if you've built a business for a day, it will run itself. Right. You know, right. of everybody's taking phone calls at lunch and stuff of there's no way. I don't think that we can give the clinical work and support that we need to do if we don't step out of the business and mm -hmm. walk into the light a little bit yeah. and hear about what's going on. And believe me, we do. I mean, I'm the queen of DVDs, you know, trainings on DVDs. Sure. But I will force myself of to go to, I go to yoga four times a week and we do the monthly supervision on Mondays. And I definitely go to three or four conferences probably a year that yeah. I'll physically go to when I do some on DVDs. Mm -hmm. But it is essential of – I don't think that I would have my trauma practice if I didn't actively go and learn. I mean, I don't know if there's any other way to do trauma work than physically feel it during the trainings. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's that's exactly right. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the more you learn from other people, and because there's no one size fits all, right? There's not some formula that you can follow to build your practice or build your business. You can definitely take great advice from people and see what they've done and get insights from that. But every business is different, right? And so I yep. think when you try to just learn from, you know, maybe the internet or from getting a DVD, it's not enough, right? It, it can be helpful. Right. But when you get in there and you talk to people like, oh, you're doing that. That's the same exact problem I have. How did you solve it? And they give you their idea and maybe it won't work exactly for you, but it gives you enough. You're like, oh, I get it. I know what I can do now, right? And you take that back to your center um, and you apply Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. And even – um. The people that you meet there, you know, we have um, a big center here that in the summertime does Friday luncheons. It's an eating disorder clinic, which I don't, you know, I don't practice eating disorders yeah. so much, but I'm certainly interested in how do you assess properly for it. Mm. And going to those um, weekly Friday luncheons, I have met so many people that we actually, I kind of forgot this last year created um a referral network just from that conference because we all went to it and um somebody that i just ended up sitting next to a couple of times i'm in contact of we do cross referrals all the time they do a very different kind of holistic practice that has been so interested in treating lyme disease and issues of the gut that it's so beneficial of when we have somebody that comes into our office and maybe we're dealing with one particular thing, but they're also complaining of other ailments that they have mm. to say, you know, you should call this person and see what they have to say. Look at their website of it's been so beneficial to always address what's coming to the office. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I think what I often tell people is like if you can't step away from your business for a day, there's something wrong with a business. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. You're just not that important. Right. Right. Like, yeah, either you're too in control and you're not delegating out, you haven't hired the right people or yeah, you just think you're a lot more important than you are. <laughs> and uh, you know what I would say too, probably one of the most profound moments weren't for me, wasn't even doing the training, except it was an amazing training of, I think it was years ago with Richard Swartz presenting internal family systems and Terry Real doing some of his couples therapy. They came to Boston and kind of co-facilitated this training. of. And the amazing part, too, is they were doing a live demonstration of both of their modalities right on the stage, which mm. I had never seen internal family systems done before. And what a work of art to see Richard Swartz do it live is amazing. Huh. But before he started... He just took this brief pause to meditate on stage. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, somebody, somebody else is doing this. Somebody else is thinking about meditation and using it for their practice and integrating it in their services. And I remember what a profound moment because I kind of thought maybe I was crazy 15 years ago to think like yoga and meditation 
would be something that would be helpful. I thought maybe people would think that was kind of hippie-ish or whatever. Yeah. And um, watching him meditate in front of this live audience in Boston, you know, <laughs> 200 people, was just so profound to me thinking, you know, I'm going for this. I'm definitely going for this of watching him do it really gave me inspiration that meditation and mindfulness before it was really catchy. Yeah. Was the way mm-hmm. that I wanted to go. That's a very cool story. Yeah. You know, yeah. You... Was, and I mean, just if you ever get a chance to see Richard Schwartz do internal systems, it's amazing. That'd be what a interesting. Work of art. I, I recently got certified in a rational mode of behavioral therapy with Terry London. Um, Terry London used to be a roommate of Albert Ellis. So, um, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. Incredible experience and just very intense certification process. <laughs> like watching, yeah, watching Terry I work. <laughs> it was fascinating. I loved it. Yeah. I mean, cause you do, you have to see it in practice. I think, you know, it was interesting cause we did some theory work and stuff like that, obviously. But when you take your theory work, and as always, when you go try and apply it, it's a completely different game. And so when you see other people do it, you're like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> right. And I mean, I don't know. And I, you know, I'm super into clinical work. I love reading everything I can. But when I read internal family systems stuff, I'm just like, what? I don't I don't get it. And to see him do it was was really all I can say. I think I've said it for years is it's a work of art. That's awesome. What a skill. How amazing. I mean, you can certainly see how it kind of integrates into EMDR and gentle reprocessing, but really fascinating stuff. Oh, and you would cool. never get that from reading a book. No, no, it's a completely different experience. Like you know, I always say there's a huge difference between knowledge and experience, right? Um, I, I live oh, of course. A lot of different countries around the world. I've lived in Turkey and Vietnam and China, and you know, I read about all these places before I went there. But then when you go, like you just have a very different understanding of that reality. <laughs> you know, right. and the same applies for clinical work and, and anything, right? Any any field that you do, Absolutely. really. Um, I can remember, you know. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Go, go I was ahead. Just yeah. reading about um, part of dyskinesis and and then actually seeing it in real life, I'm like, wow, that's so different than what I thought. You know. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one of the things I, I love that you mentioned is that you do, you know, yoga and meditation on your own. And something I found as a business owner um, is that you have to take care of yourself first, right? Like I get up every morning and I work out at least five days a week. And it's so easy to let that slip because you get so busy and sometimes you get stressed out. Um, but by taking care of yourself, I, it just puts you in an optimal position, I think, to grow your business and to support the your staff, support your clients coming in. Um you can't help them if you're not helping yourself, right? Absolutely. 110%. And I know how hard it is yeah. to, right. you know, get that time out of your day. And, and I'm a mom, you know, I have a five and an eight-year-old. Yep. We have sports and school and everything, but of I can't do the work if I'm not doing the work. Yes. If that makes any sense. No, I mean, it does to me. I think it does to a lot of people out there. You know, you just got to, if I got to get up at 530 in the morning, I'll get up at 530 in the morning. Prefer not to, <laughs> but I will. Right. You know. Right. <laughs> uh, you, you know, even the littlest things of, you know, going to the doctor and going to the dentist of those things, like how silly would it be if you neglect those things and then you're out for three, four days. Right. Right. Because it's something that you didn't routinely attend to. And, you know, how do we tell these people this is what you have to do to get better when <laughs> right. we can't even we can't integrate it. it? Right. Yeah. I think that's always been an interesting thing just personally um, within the therapy space is how many people struggle with their own issues as <laughs> they tell other people. Right. Follow this or that. Everyone, We're all right? human. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, all right. Well, going back to the business aspect of things, then maybe can you run through just a couple of like the biggest challenges you faced and advice you might have or how you overcame those? Probably thus far. The biggest challenges have been... In February, we bought the building that we were in, mm, so we essentially okay. um, more than doubled space. I say it like it's huge, and it's not huge, but we have five working offices now, and um, 
that was that was really hard to buy commercial property. You yeah. need a lot of money down. Um, you need to do a lot of different things from it. It was definitely I built it up in my head as such a scary thing, and like by the time it was done, it just it's been like it's always been forever. Yeah. But it's hard to mentally like jump that hurdle of like, wow, I'm going to be responsible for now this building and four bathrooms and <laughs> I hope people don't leave the heat on. <laughs> that kind of stuff, you know, right. that has definitely, that was a big one. And I would definitely say, you know, always I, I have great support that's kind of like, hey, time to turn in your profit and loss sheet of business supports are always kind of after me because I would stay in clinical land mm, if I yeah. could, you know, yeah. so I make sure that um, my business supports are a very, very different personality than my clinical supports. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I think that um, the therapists that work in my office are much like I am. Of We want to talk about books and practices and, trainings and things like that and my business people are like yeah let's just talk about the numbers we don't <laughs> want to hear the process you know sure and that's what i need because yeah. i'll get lost in the process well I, I like that because i'm a big fan of i said it's just kind of like outsourcing whether you're outsourcing externally or hiring internally but you have to hire for the skill sets that you don't have right <laughs> yeah 110 um, percent yeah they just allow you to do so much more than if you were trying to do it on your own Right. And I wouldn't get anything done. They're the ones of, I can't even say enough about how they have grown the whole business of, I, I couldn't think of it in my wildest dreams, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, you mentioned that you love the clinical work and I think we all love certain aspects of our business. Uh, but when you're growing the business, you do have to focus on the business elements so, you know, what's your advice for people that say, hey, you know, I really love the clinical work. I hate all this business stuff. I hate my accounting. I hate my billing. Um, you know, how would you recommend that they go about actually trying to grow the practice if that's their feeling? Um, I would say lean into it a little bit of that's not going to help you having that philosophy of I hate the business. I hate the billing and stuff like that of find something. I mean, you like the money, so you have to kind of engage in the business and the billing and um, then find people that make that easier for you, you know, not allowing you to escape that responsibility, but that you really enjoy working with and that get you and want to be part of your team. There's always people out there. And I would say if there's still, if you have your team together and you still really find one part of this process difficult, I would say reevaluate your team. Like I, I don't particularly love the billing at all, <laughs> but I love my biller, you know, and, and I don't mind calling her because she's wonderful and lovely. And she knows that I don't want to deal with it. I'm only calling because there's something I want to tell her or a problem. And she's on it you know, 110% of she doesn't fight with me or make me feel silly or anything like that of she's right. on my team. Yeah. 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 And it all comes down to hiring the right people for sure. Yeah. And they're out there. Oh, they are. They are. Sometimes you have to dig, you know, it takes a while, a lot mm -hmm. of interviews, you know, and get some interesting people in the doors. Uh, <laughs> but as long as you take your time, Absolutely. you can make some good hires. And I would definitely say, and then once you get it, a little bit it's hard to hate it like the business if you want to run your own practice the business part is part of it i would say it's at least 50 percent right of doing it so if you hate the business so much maybe running your own practice isn't your thing yeah yeah i agree you, you know. know and i i certainly think that um i have amazingly talented therapists in my office that have no interest in running a business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you those know, are they, the people you want to find to be therapists for you, you know? Yep. yep. And they have found a really good thing because I don't take any of the, um, I don't take a percentage of their earnings at all. You know, they pay rent to be in the office and that's it. We share referrals. 
So there's always, if, if that's your thing and you just want to um, do clinical work, but you want a little more independence of how you do it, go out there and find it. Yeah. It's there. Yeah, definitely. You can always find you. You just got to look for the opportunities. They're definitely there. Yeah. Um, any other challenges that you faced uh, that were really big and, and maybe common things that you think people might experience trying to go from individual to, you know, multi-person practice? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, of getting used to being the boss and saying no is really hard, even if you are all by yourself, of you still have to negotiate space and and have to kind of get okay with saying no and yeah. and knowing what you want and being really clear about what you'll accept. I definitely think in therapeutic practice when it's your own individual practice, but everybody probably comes from a more lenient practice, whether you worked at a hospital or residential or something like that, and then you have to like really scale back who can you see in a clinic versus who can you see in an individual practice versus who do you feel comfortable seeing in your own private practice. There's a huge distinction of who's appropriate. Yeah. And, um... And I think that's a little bit hard to get used to because you're not used to saying like, oh, well, now I can't really see this type of client anymore. You know, of, I don't really feel comfortable doing that work independently in my own practice in a residential neighborhood, you know, sure. alone at 8 p.m. at night. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned the boss thing, too, because I've noticed I've learned over, over the years, you know, kind of being in leadership that if you take you learn a lot about like servant leadership and collaboration and things like that. But I found that if you don't exercise like your own experience and your own knowledge in situations, you tend to lose the respect of your team or, or they start to think that maybe they should be running the business. I found, <laughs> right. you know, right. and so there's a point where you've got to be, you know, the captain of the boat, right. And say, this is how we're doing it. I've heard your opinions. I understand. And this is where we're going to go and why, you know, and that's it and close yep. that door because they aren't where you're at, right? You clearly are in a position you're in because you have the experience and the insights that got you there. And so you can help the company right. move forward. Um, whereas, you know, that's not their cup of tea or that's not where they are yet. And so it was just, yeah, a very big learning experience for me over the years where I'm much more decisive now, you know, I'll ask questions obviously and be respectful, but if someone is um has a very different opinion i said well that's okay but we're doing it this way <laughs> you know right and i think you know um even you know a couple months ago we brought a therapist on board and i take full ownership i don't think i was as clear as i wanted to be about my vision of the therapist that work in the office mm. and um it was pretty clear to me that eventually she wanted to do what I'm doing, sure. you know, and, and that's probably not the best fit for me. Of yeah. I want people in the office one or two days a week. I don't want somebody that wants to build a private practice and then leave. Right. So essentially that's what she did, <laughs> you uh, know, and, sure. and what are you going to do? Yeah. You know, this is just a good learning experience for me of, I need to be clear in the get go I just want people here. Nobody can be here more than three days a week because that doesn't even make it financially profitable for them to be there. Hmm. Yeah. Paying me rent. Right. So um, and that was a good lesson for me after it was all said and done yeah. that I have to take some ownership in that situation because I wasn't as clear as I needed to be with her. Yeah, that's good. I mean, we run into that issue a lot because I'm in, obviously running the digital marketing space. And nobody knows this stuff. They don't teach it in school. I've even tried hiring people with MBAs and they don't know this stuff. They don't teach it in school. You know, so you run into a lot of people that if they have experience, it's as a freelancer. And so they're thinking that, hey, you know, maybe I can build this into a business. Often like therapists, not realizing how difficult the business aspect of things is. <laughs> but, you know, I'll, right. I'll get those people in. And so, you know, I got to be pretty careful. I mean, we do all of our internal training just, again, basically because no one else really knows how to do it like we do it. Um, but yeah, you gotta be careful because they would, they would just maybe come in and take everything and then just go and try and build their own. And so, you know, it's gotta, it's gotta be that back and forth. You want people that have initiative and are proactive and everything, but at the same time, you don't want them with an eye on the door, 
<laughs> right. Right. You don't want you don't want to hire somebody that wants to be you. Right. Yeah. You know, you you want somebody that wants to be part of a team. So these are always they're good experiences. That's what I kind of always am looking for. You can stay in the like poor me. I can't believe this just happened. Or what am I going to do about it? What have I learned? What did I contribute to that? Yeah. Like, how do I prevent that from happening in the future? Yeah, it's all learning experiences at the end of the day. Yeah, I definitely always have a positive outlook on that kind of thing. You know, and I think, um, you know, even when you're looking at your staff, there, there are people that see what you do and they go, I do not want that. <laughs> that level of responsibility <laughs> and stress is not what I want. I want to be able to go home, watch my TV, you know. And those are the people you want, right. <laughs> at least from a business Right, standpoint. and... That's great, too. I actually have somebody in the office, which I have to also be careful of. I think I've given a lot away for free Mm -hmm. by saying to people like, well, you don't have to come to my office. If you just do X, Y, and Z, you could probably still maintain your office. I've done that a lot. Sure. And um, one of the new therapists that came actually closed her private practice because she wanted less less responsibility. She wanted to go travel. And I think um, I was probably doing that a little bit to her saying in the beginning, like, well, why don't, you know, you could hire my subcontractors and still maintain your own office. And finally, she was like, you don't understand what I'm saying. I don't want it. I want to come to your office and work two days a week. And I was like, oh, (laughs) all right, that works for me, too. So it sounds like you've built the business a lot around referrals, and it sounds like you have a fairly strong presence in the community. But I found, you know, obviously when working like with outpatient centers or IOPs, behavioral health clinics, obviously you're in a restricted geographical range. You're not pulling in people from around the country. So in terms of outreach and marketing, what have you found to be the most successful for you? You know, I can't wait until I get to that point of we always kind of say we're going to do marketing and outreach and I haven't even got there yet. I mean, I have a LinkedIn page. Um, I do a lot of informal marketing and outreach of I'll go to luncheons and I talk to my docs regularly, which then they refer me. One thing I will do, which I guess is in still in the informal ranges i will go and meet with my docs whenever they want if we need to talk about somebody we have a signed release i'll go meet with them just to do a little face-to-face and i think that is um a huge benefit of they can they remember my name they put my um face to my name and that has been a big benefit but as far as a launch or a promotion I can't wait until we get there. It's interesting. So most of your uh, patients are coming from referrals of some sort, I'm assuming then? Like, where do they find yeah. you from? Um, psychology Today. Oh, I think a lot okay. of them are their neighbors or their doctors, their PCPs, um, the med providers in the community, word of mouth. And do you think that's because pe- they know you and people at your practice? Like- a lot of them do. There's... I can't remember the exact number, but when we were talking about it in the group supervision, there was like 157 years of experience between like the five people in the room. Sure. Of there's just, you know, people have been in this community a long time. They've worked at major treatment centers for 20 plus years. We have a few of them. We have, um, people that have taught at the universities, people that, you know, worked in the VA system. So there's a lot of experience there. But of course, psychology today helps and, and we refer to each other. So we definitely have a pretty big presence in this area. Yeah, very interesting. Well, all right, Karen, I really appreciate all the information. We're running a little bit short on time here. So is there anything in particular um, that you want to kind of finish on or that you'd like to mention before we wrap up you know i think i'm always this is kind of the phase of treatment that i'm in of just trying to educate people on how profound trauma really relates to their life Mm. and um and all the symptoms that happen from trauma and how quickly it can happen whether it is just a single incident trauma or 
a complex trauma from developmental stages. And I think that um, mostly if people are suffering, like you don't have to suffer. I would say like reach out and get some help. Just talk about some of the things that are happening in your life so you can properly get treated, even if it's nothing major, even if it's just some anxiety or some depressive periods, because we just see how quickly it can escalate for people. Yeah. So I think that's kind of where I am clinically. And I would definitely say for people of if you're in treatment and it's not working, like keep searching, yeah. you know, of it's a hard gig to be a therapist. You can't be everything to everyone. Yeah, it's very true. You know, I mean, I think the research is pretty clear. It's almost that rapport with the therapist that's the most beneficial aspect yeah. of treatment a lot of the time. Yeah. Right. Um, right. And I do love the focus on the trauma aspect. You know, obviously you see it all the time. I mean, so many people coming in with addiction issues, other mental health issues, almost, I mean, the vast majority have some kind of trauma experiences and you hear it in the groups, right? I mean, like when we go on client visits, I'll sit in all the groups and, you know, I've never, ever had someone, um, that's talking to a group say, well, I really just took a drink because I really wanted booze, you know, or I, I just took a shot of heroin because I just really need it. It's always prefaced yep. by, you know, I just remembered, I was talking to my father and I remember the fights that we had. I just really needed a drink. Right. Or I remember Absolutely. that time that my parents did X, Y, and Z to me. And I just haven't been able to get over that. And so I just needed to feel numb. I, you know, I took a shot of heroin, right? Like there's always a reason for it. Um, that's often Absolutely. experientially and grounded. I, I've never heard anyone say like, I, I was really striving to be an alcoholic right. when I grew up, right. you know, of, it, there's always, there's a deeper story there. And I yeah. think that that is so important for everybody to realize. And, and I think we are, you know, with everything that's happening today, I think we're starting to realize, oh, this is bigger than somebody gone wrong somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely agree. So if listeners want to reach out to you, uh, how would they be able to do that? They can um, call me is usually my best way at um, 774-222-3196. Or they can email me at kpbodyperiodsolutions at gmail.com. Okay, well, perfect. Well, I encourage all the listeners to reach out if you do have any questions about growing a therapy practice or different aspects of what we talked about today. Um, again, this is a Recovery Executive Podcast, and my name is Nick Jaworski. You can find us on iTunes, Intune, Stitcher, basically anywhere that you download podcasts. You'll be able to find us. You can listen in your car, on the way to work, on your way home, whatever works. And of course, this podcast is brought to you by Circle Social Inc., experts in growth marketing for addiction and behavioral health. Thank you so much, and we look forward to joining you next time.